Hello and welcome to the Sheffield Digital Podcast. I'm Ian Broom and I will be joined in the conversations you're about to hear by directors Chris Diamond and Mel Kanarek as always. Um, and uh, this particular show is, uh, as you might expect, something of a, a special. We're going to be talking about the coronavirus outbreak and the impact on Sheffield's digital businesses, digital sector. And um, and we're going to be getting some expert thoughts and advice from two different teams, from two different companies. First, we're going to hear from Karis Thompson, Catherine Wilson and Matt Ainsworth. They are all from Keebles, a legal firm and solicitors. They're going to be talking uh, primarily about um, the government's measures that they've put in place for both uh, business owners, uh, employees, of course, and um, and also the more recent measures uh, around self-employed people too. We'll also then be hearing from the team at Shorts Accountants. So that's Martin Dean, Dave Robinson and Tom Whitworth. They will also be talking about all of those things too, but coming at it from a perhaps a slightly different angle. I think you'll find both conversations really interesting. As I speak now, they are already recorded and um, I know that I found them useful uh, listening to what the uh, what the experts had to say. Of course, it's worth pointing out that this was recorded on the 27th of March. That is this very day I speak now. So things are changing so quickly. And um, if you're listening to this at some point in the future, um, of course, this information may at that point be out of date. Um, so just check uh, before you take anything said in the episode as gospel. And um, and I think that's it. Apart from to say that we also recorded two other interviews at the same time. So we spoke to uh, Mark Gannon from Sheffield City Council to hear from him and how the council are responding to the crisis, the kind of measures that they've put in place, and also a little bit about how it affects the digital sector too. And we also spoke to um, Neil Armstrong from TribePad, who make some fantastic and very popular recruitment software. They're a Sheffield firm and they have seen some very interesting um, stats and data as a result of the crisis so far. Um, and that interview is well worth listening to too. We've decided to separate the four interviews. So this particular episode of the show is going to be Keebles and Shorts. So this is all about the things you need to know as a business owner, as an employee um, uh, at the moment. Um, and then we're going to put those other two episodes out as episode 55, I think it will be, um, uh, together too. So those are the two interviews. So look out for those as well. That's it. Enough gabbling from me. Let's hear from the experts. So uh, thanks so much for joining us, Karis, Catherine and Matt. Um, I guess in that order, can you tell us a bit more about your roles at Keebles? Yep, sure. So I'm Karis Thompson. Um, I'm a legal director at Keebles and head of the commercial contract team. So we advise lots of different types of clients on their commercial contracts. And I'm Catherine Wilson and I'm an employment partner and head of the employment team at Keebles and we predominantly advise employers um, but also some employees on employment related issues. Hello everyone, I'm Matt Ainsworth. I head up the corporate team at Keebles and we advise across the board on transactional work but also funding work as well which is probably the most relevant thing at the moment I think. That's great. Thank you very much. And, and thank you for joining us um, at such a mad time. What we've got is a variety of questions that have come in um, 
through our social media in response to a survey that we've put out and that kind of thing and i think we'll just try and take them one at a time and whichever of you is best placed to answer them if you could kick in that would be fantastic so um the first question is uh, for people who are employed um if they get put on furlough will that have any impact on their employment rights going forward what does it actually mean for them when they get put on furlough i think the key thing to say is they can't be put on furlough that it has to be designated by the employer but it has to be done with their consent and we can probably talk in a minute about what happens if you don't consent but let's assume for these purposes you do consent to being put on furlough the whole purpose is that effectively your employment continues and is unaffected quite what it means in terms of do you accrue holiday what about holiday, um, holiday or pension payments we're not sure as yet still but the theory being that it should have no real impact on their employment rights so if for example you already had two years service you can still bring employment claims at the end of it you would as well if there was eventually a redundancy situation still be entitled to those statutory rights and it will count towards your continuity so let's say you've worked for 20 months and you're on furlough for another three to four months then at that point you would still acquire that employment right that's great and we've heard that if you're on furlough you can't do any other work so if for example your employer put you on furlough and you saw that a local supermarket was desperate for delivery drivers you couldn't then go and work for the supermarket as a delivery driver is that correct that is correct in fact in the government guidance that they issued last night they did make an exception for people who are volunteering and training but in terms of working for another employer the theory being you can't do that whilst you're still being paid by employer a they may of course right. relax that rule i suspect if they become very very short but the other key thing to realize is that when you're furloughed the expectation is that you will return to work and you can be required to return to work at very very short notice so it would probably be inconsistent if you were carrying out another role for somebody else right yeah that makes sense but if you wanted to go and do some volunteer work in the meantime unpaid that would be okay i think that would be unpaid and the key thing is to avoid any um, repercussions obviously just check with your hr or your line manager and explain what you were doing and what that involved and i'm sure for most um, businesses that would be absolutely fine great thank you and then kind of looking at this from the employer's point of view if an employer needs to put staff on on furlough or makes a decision to do that do they have to do it for everybody or can they just choose you know just put half on furlough and and keep the other half working how does that what's the process for doing that um well effectively they don't need to put all of the staff on furlough so there, there is an element of choice and need because it's only the people who are going to be furloughed whereby um there is no work for those particular individuals so there may well be work for others often for many clients though they are looking at sort of furloughing a proportion of the staff so there's an element of choice so one of the options is to look for volunteers but the other one is also to do some type of selection to make sure that you retain the most appropriate staff given the work that's available at the relevant time and if you were doing that um if, if your employer was kind of making a selection could the could an employee challenge that could they say either um 
no, I really don't want to be put on furlough because I think I'm really important. Or um, even though you're saying I'm important, I would prefer to be put on furlough. I mean, certainly an employee could challenge it because obviously it's a question ultimately of, of consent. Um, I mean, I think the other key thing that the government was at pains to say was when they introduced the scheme that it would always be subject to um, employment law. So there has to be some type of consultation exercise. Um, and that would involve things like the criteria and why A or B was selected or, you know, some sort of dialogue with the individuals to explain their selection or non-selection, as it were. I mean, ultimately, if an individual objects to furlough, then depending upon what the contract says, you would probably be looking at a termination type situation. I think the other key mm. thing to say is that just because you're not furloughed at the beginning doesn't mean that as the situation changes or develops, you won't be then furloughed at a later point because a number of clients are now operating at half capacity, that may go to zero capacity. Yeah, okay, that's great. Thank you very much for that. Um, Chris, are you happy for me to keep asking the questions or did you want to jump in at all? <laughs> no, you're doing a fantastic job. <laughs> if I have a question, I'll, I'll hop in, but carry on. Awesome, thank you very much. Okay, so um, this one is, is more of a contracty question. So um, for someone who either runs a business or is, is a freelance contractor and they were part way through delivering a contract and it has a timetable to it. So it has kind of, you know, such and such will be delivered at such and such a date. And the company or the individual now thinks there's no way they're going to be able to deliver to that timetable. Does that put them in breach of the contract? And, and where do they stand legally in terms of going back to their client and saying, I can't meet the timetable in this contract anymore. Okay, so the first thing I, I would advise somebody in that situation to do is to review the contract and uh, read carefully exactly what it says. So in terms of the obligation to deliver to that timetable, is that an absolute obligation or is it an obligation to use their reasonable endeavours to do that? Um, and are there any specific remedies that are written into the contract for the other party if they can't do that if they can't meet that timetable mm -hmm. um so the if they're only obliged to use reasonable endeavors to meet that obligation then that means that they need to balance that obligation against their own commercial interests and obviously in the circumstances they might be doing everything that's reasonable to meet that timetable but not there might be something stopping them doing that so that's one possible avenue for them to consider um there's also a lot of um media attention around force majeure clauses so yeah. that can protect somebody if they're unable to perform their contractual obligations because of something that's happened that's outside of their control that yeah. isn't actually a, a concept in English law that must be written into a contract for that to be able to apply. So that's something else to check whether that is written in their, their specific contract. Um, if it is, then they also need to think about and, and look carefully at how that provision is written. Um, it, it depends how it's written as to whether it would cover this situation that we're in. It might be that certain events are listed as included in in the provision as, as these X, Y, and Z will be regarded as a force majeure event. 
and a pandemic pandemic might be included in that or it might not. Um, if it's more general wording and just says anything that is outside of our control, then that's probably going to be more helpful um, because I think uh, the pandemic is going to be regarded as something beyond the party's reasonable control. Yes, just um, a bit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the government actions are being taken as well. So it might not be the pandemic itself, it might be a government action that's preventing them from performing. Um, then, then if we think that it is within that force majeure provision um, and it is covered by it, then you need to check whether there's any notification requirements. Um, it might require you to notify the other party within a set period. There might be um, other requirements for you to take certain action to mitigate the effects of it. So there's lots of different possibilities depending on how that provision is written. Um, uh, yeah. and Sorry. Sorry. Ian, yeah, no, I just had a question. It's sort of, it's sort of, a, uh, it's, it's kind of the same question, but from a slightly different angle. Um, I'm a, I'm a freelancer, yeah. so I've, I've, uh, the, the word that I've heard an awful lot is the word pause. So I've heard people saying to me, and I've heard other freelancers having a similar, uh, similar, similar uh, problems. Let's call them, where uh, clients have said we need to pause this for now. So we're not going to cancel your contract. Yeah. We're going to pause it. So far for me, it's been quite an informal thing. Really, it's been a case of like, right, okay, that's fine. I've never kind of. Uh, and I don't know anyone else who's kind of kicked off or uh, suggested otherwise. But, but actually, there must yeah. be, uh, if you have a contract in place and it's something, for example, like we, we want you to do this particular job for two days a week for the next 10 weeks. And then you hear we're going to pause that. Is there an obligation to fulfill those days or to complete that contract at a later date? Um, well, again, it depends on, on what the other parts of the contract say. So from a force majeure point of view, um, the effect of the force majeure might be that the obligation of the pause, like you say, or it might be that it, either party's got the right to terminate. They might be specific, quite specific effects from the rest of the contract and what the obligations are. Um, it might be that the other party can't unilaterally impose that on you. They might require your consent. It might be that you, do, you want to give that consent in the circumstances. Um, it might be that there's a formal process that you need to follow, a change control procedure, it's usually called. Um, but the, the fundamental thing really, I guess, is if you do agree any changes to the way that the contract is going to work to make sure that those changes are written down, um, make sure that the, it's clear how long those changes will run for what happens when that period ends? Are you going to review it again? Or will it go straight back to the original obligations? So it's, it, clarity is important on what any changes that you agree, and also to make sure that they're confirmed in writing. Yeah, that's something I was going to kind of add into the conversation is that, you know, a lot of us, the way that we work, we have very close relationships with our clients. You know, there's lots of trust two ways and a lot of stuff you know, the natural thing will be to talk to the client and to say, you know, okay, I don't think I can meet this timetable, what can we do? And to come to sort of an agreement through a nice friendly conversation, but then not capture that in writing. Yeah. And yes, the advice would be uh, to document. Yes, the advice is to document it, even if it's just a follow up email to say, thanks for that discussion it was really helpful here's just a summary of what we've agreed um 
emails count as writing. Um, so it doesn't necessarily have to be in a formal document. It can be helpful, um, and particularly if the conversation is not so friendly and you think there might be problems further down the line, I think I would try and do it in a bit more of a formal way. Um, but, but at the very least, yeah, confirm it in writing with an email after a verbal conversation. Okay, that's great. Thank you. Um, right, so I've, I've got a question now from the point of view of someone running a business where everyone is now working from home, which is basically the whole world. <laughs> but, but as a lot of us know, um, we're also having to manage childcare because the, the schools are closed. And so it's hard for people to put in a full day's work when they've also got childcare requirements and homeschooling and figuring out how you're going to get the shopping in and all that kind of stuff. So if I'm a business and I've got people from working from home and they're not able to put in a full day's work, what as a business can I do? Can I reduce people's hours and reduce their pay or, or what? I think that's a really difficult question. Um, I think that if we try and reduce their hours without their consent, then when this is all over, we're likely to face quite a lot of potential claims. I think obviously one could look at it on the basis that perhaps we don't need as many people so that you can be laid off or furloughed while you're at home. Unless you've mm. got the right, though, to introduce short-term working in the contract, which very, very few businesses actually have, then everything, again, has to be done with consent. Again, I think you would have to open a consultation with the individuals. As I say, you might look at furloughing certain staff. Um, you might be encouraging people to take holidays. But again, I think you know, it is all about demand and in terms of workload. So very difficult. I think the particular issues are with the childcare. But that would tend to adversely impact female workers rather than male workers. So it's potentially unlawful discrimination. And the other key point to realise about discrimination on grounds of gender and or caring responsibilities is the fact that damages are unlimited and it's what we call a day one right. So if I start working with you on a Monday and then by the Friday I'm home working, then I still have that protection. So I think great care and specific advice required. And I think probably a look at actually what work is required and whether or not the furloughing or indeed redundancies will be a better option. Yeah, yeah. Okay, thank you. Um, I'd like to turn to Matt briefly, um, just to find out, I imagine that there might be companies who are partway through a fundraise, or, you know, had started negotiations around a loan or something like that. And, you know, everything's gone mad, and, and they can't progress it. Have, are you seeing that at all with clients, Matt? Is there any particular advice you'd want to give? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, we are. I mean, certainly in terms of fundraisings, I think there's a general acceptance that um, they will slow down. Uh, you know, we hope to an extent kind of the tech sector is more immune to this than certainly some other sectors are. But I think for, you know, for certainly early kind of early venture companies and startup companies, I think without a shadow of a doubt, those fundraisings, whilst Hopefully they will still go ahead. I think there's an expectation that the length of time to get those fundraisings through is going to be, it, it's, it's certainly going to take more time to do that. 
Um, mm. what, what we're also absolutely seeing is, is people who have been in discussions around loans or extension of loans with their, uh, with their banks or funders, where they've, you know, two or three weeks ago, were given quite good assurances when they were starting to suffer a little bit in terms of the impact of the virus, that, that, that those loans would be made available to them very quickly. Whereas now with the, the new scheme, the new, um, the new business interruption scheme that's come in place and the demand for that business interruption scheme, there's certainly delays in the process just of the, the, the amount and the capacity of people who are requiring this. I think absolutely key for clients is, and, you know, cook uh, and customers and the community is to get front and face with the bank um, be really active with the bank and make sure that you are pushing as hard as you possibly can with the bank uh, to make sure that uh, you can get up the queue as quick as you possibly can. Um, yeah. I, I think the, the, the other thing we're obviously seeing with these new symbols, these new uh, business interruption loans is uh, it all sounded very good when the government first announced it. Um, the detail is still starting to come through, but uh, as, as uh, may be expected, the implementation of it is is a bit more testing. Yeah, I think in, in a lot of cases, you know, we've we've heard good headlines from the government, but the devil will be in, in the detail of the implementation, won't it? Um, and it's quite hard for businesses to stay up to date with what the latest situation is. So I think... That's, we're certainly going to see that pan out over the next few weeks or so. Um, are there any other options available to, especially to startups? Um, you know, should they be thinking about changing the the legal format of their companies? Should they be switching to, you know, paying themselves salary in a different way in order to take advantage of other schemes? Are there any other, are there any ways that they can pivot away from the need to secure these loans? Yeah, I mean, I, th I think there's there's obviously for those small businesses, uh, those who are already uh, effectively uh, able to take a, advantage of the kind of small company business rates exemptions, um, there's going to be some grants coming through from the local authorities. Again, you know, timing when that comes through, we're not very clear around, but those are going to be £10,000 one-off grants made available. To those who are already eligible for small business relates, uh, uh, rates uh, relief. Um, I think in terms of, we have seen some already look to take advantage of things like furloughing, where they you know move towards employment status and see whether they can take advantage of that. Uh, I think the problem with furlough to an extent is it only impacts, I think, if you are uh, employed I think it's at the, the end of February, isn't it, Catherine? I think. Yeah, so, you had to be on the payroll. When you had to have a payroll set up, you had to be employed as of the 28th of February. So changing, I think the argument being that they, I think the Chancellor described it as fraudulent actually last night in the broadcast, but the idea that people would redesignate themselves in March as something else, he felt was, a, was an abuse and they wouldn't allow that to happen. Yeah, yeah. But I, I guess some, you know, some people are, you know, partially employed and partially self-employed, and that's how they take their take their remuneration effectively. And I, you know, I've certainly seen people sort of 
looking at whether they can take advantage of the employment sort of aspects of how they remunerate themselves or whether that can help with the furlough but but you know it's it's difficult you know there's 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 practical steps that people can take to try and ease short-term cash flow you know i think you'll maybe speak to shorts but they will they will talk to you things around you know the vat holiday so and um, mm. the you know the income tax deferrals that are coming in in uh, over the next few months that all helps the wee short-term cash flow but you know, there is there is going to come a time where this is really biting businesses i think i think uh, so uh, again as uh, i'm using this partly as an opportunity just to ask you questions of my own which is <laughs> what always happens a minor privilege uh, but i know lots of other people are in a similar situation so uh, I'm, I'm freelance i'm a one-person outfit but i it all goes through a company so i i have a i have a limited yeah. company uh, so as far as i understand it's that that disqualifies as a company director despite being freelance that means that me and lots of other people are don't qualify for any support is that is that how you see it too uh, I, I mean I, I think in, in many tens of purposes that that is probably correct I think I think in terms of you know you still can take advantage you know, things like you know the uh, small business relief you can probably take advantage of things like that you will be able to take advantage of the things that are being across the boards of the VAT deferrals and income tax deferrals, um, you know, a business of your size, it's going to be almost impossible to take advantage of things like the Corona Business Business Interruption Loan Scheme, because fundamentally you're still going to have to show a a base case to show that you are a fundable business, and therefore you know you've got to have to have some kind of critical mass to be able to do that. I think. Can I I just want to double check on that because there are a lot of us in a similar situation to Ian, um, myself included, where we operate as a limited company and we're the sole employee of that limited company. So in my case, I pay myself a minimal salary every month. And then at the end of a year, if there's stuff left over, I take that out as dividends. And I think probably a lot of other people work like that. So my understanding is that I would, if I wanted to, I could put myself on furlough effectively and claim 80% of the minimal salary that I pay myself. Am I correct in that understanding? That is my understanding of how it works. But I think the problem is you can't unilaterally suddenly increase the level of that salary because obviously they will look back at the PIOAE records. And I think that's one of the things that we're seeing that they're looking at what did you earn last year? Uh, what did you earn in the previous tax year as an average? So I think you can be, you can furlough yourself, it seems to me, in principle, but you only get 80% of whatever you were paying yourself and you can't suddenly increase what you were paying yourself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. well, that, yeah. that makes sense. And, and yeah. And that may still be worth doing. Because it is, the system that way. Yeah, I mean, it's still some income. Yeah. And presumably yeah. you can carry on working when you're furloughed. No. <laughs> I mean, how about that? No. Not, I mean, the theory is if you're furloughed, you can't carry out any work. How that would apply right. in your situation, though, I think is a bit uncertain. And that's obviously not what the scheme has been designed to. You'd be an outlier. So I don't think they really thought about how that would work in practice. So I guess, well, you could carry on working. You just couldn't pay yourself. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. <laughs> I don't know quite how. Yeah, I mean, I think it would be very difficult because they are very strict on this not idea of not working. So I suppose you could say I wasn't working as an employee, but I was continuing to work in some other capacity. I think that's going to be difficult. 
Mm. Yeah. I mean, okay. some of the some of the self-employed rules, you know, the new schemes that came out yesterday, that you know they are different, and that did suggest that as self-employed to get to get the benefit, you could carry on working. Yeah. Um, again, I think the details. You know, we've got more details of the furlough scheme. I think the self-employed process. Obviously, the first announcement was yesterday. You know, there's there's a lot more detail in practice about how that's going to work. And you know, the problem with that is it just covers such a myriad of different uh, structures and systems. And how that's mm-hmm. going to work in practice. You know, we 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 need to we need to see that how that's coming through everything. Mm. Okay. Well, that was an interesting little rabbit hole to go down. <laughs> 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 um, Not a common one though in our industry. No, not at all. An, an important one to address. So it's good to have a good discussion on that. Um, I have a question regarding uh, data security, which is um, if you're a business with employees working from home, so they're now using their domestic broadband connection to do their work, um, send emails and all that kind of thing. Where does the liability sit for data security and, and the security of communication? Um, the short answer to that, Mel, is that the business is still responsible. So mm-hmm. the, the fact that more people than might otherwise be the case are now working from home doesn't negate the obligations on the business to make sure mm-hmm. that the, the access to its systems are secure. So the the ICO guidance that is given on this is that you do still need to consider the same level of security measures for home working that you would do anyway. Yeah. And but having said that, it is it it is quite um, pragmatic. The ICO in the statements that it's putting out and the approach that it takes to compliance, and it, it is it has said. Uh, publicly that it is accepting that these are unprecedented challenges and that it's not intending to take regulatory action to people who are doing what they can in a proportionate way. Right so as long as you can demonstrate that you did sensible things um, then you should be okay yeah. Yeah yeah it's just it it, to a certain extent it's it's an element of common sense Um, so if you've got all of your employees working from home now, do they all need to be able to access the same information that they would have been able to access if they were in the office? Is there more sensitive information that you can change the user privileges for to say that only certain people access that sensitive information? Mm. So it's it's a a practical approach, I think, to considering the different way in which people are working now. Yeah. And is there, are you aware of a resource anywhere that people could go to? Like, is the ICO, have they got useful information available about this? Yeah, they, they've got um, a little bit of information. They've got some frequently asked questions, but I think um, the Fibre Essentials website is useful in terms of practical measures that people can put in place. That's great. Great. Thank you for that. Um, and one more, which is um, sort of a, a more broad sweeping question, which is given that this situation is likely to go on for several months and we don't know when the end will be, what sort of steps should people be taking to protect their business legally? Yeah, it's Matt. I'll pick this up. I mean, we've already, I mean, I I think the the absolute key focus 
is cash, isn't it? For for most businesses, mm. it's cash flow protecting the cash, uh, both I think short term and medium term. So we've already talked about some of the key kind of ways uh, that people can start doing that now. The furlough process is clearly key for that, as well as some of the kind of tax uh, deferrals that we've discussed around income tax and and VAT. Mm. I guess some of the other things that people should be thinking around is insurance. So um, it, it's absolutely worth uh, everyone reviewing or speaking to their brokers to review their insurance policies. I think some insurance policies do cover pandemic situations, uh, but, but others don't. And probably for SMEs, they will be taking out, you know, in certain circumstances, more basic policies to cover these kind of issues because they're so unforeseen. So there may be some issues around whether that every aspect is covered, but you know certainly government lockdowns and the impact of that could have um, uh, you know, favourable uh, positions in terms of insurance. So you know if if businesses are are being impacted, then you know turn to insurance and see what cover you've got and and absolutely speak to your broker see whether you've got any avenues down that route um i think you know the, the other thing that is being discussed and we're seeing a lot within our firm already is around is around lease obligations and and, and rental position so mm-hmm. the government has has not brought has not brought in anything to say mandatory across the board there needs to be rental holidays uh, for businesses um but it has brought in a process where effectively um, companies cannot be evicted over the next three months until the end of June if they fail to pay their rent. So we are already seeing, which is the best route, already seeing within our team lots of discussions between landlords to defer rent, to, uh, to come to agreements for rental holidays over the next three to six months to try and help them with cash flow to get through the period. So again, that should be something to be looked at. And by and large, I'm seeing landlords being relatively sympathetic to it, which um, they aren't always, but they are. But they are, they are in all these circumstances. I guess. I guess the other thing, just the flag is, uh, which is slightly negative and doomsday. But you know, hopefully, as I've said, the tech sector will be slightly immune or slightly more immune to this than than others but but there's inevitably uh, going to be some some business failures i think i mean that's uh, we're not expecting to see huge amounts of insolvency within the next three to six months because frankly you know that people are just stuck from actually being able to do anything and you know for insolvency market to really be there there needs to be funding from banks to enable that to kind of really uh, kick into gear. But I think later in the year, we will start to see the the uh, the implications from what we're seeing now. So mm-hmm. for, you know, for directors, for business owners, they do need to be having an eye on that and needing to demonstrate that they have taken all proper steps in terms of managing their business as best they can even in these difficult circumstances so you know managing cash flows looking at the cash flow making sure that you are producing financial information as frequently as you can to demonstrate that even if your business does fail that you you know you've done everything you can 
to uh, to limit the impact on you know your suppliers and your creditors because you know if you don't then there could be personal personal risk for people in those situations so it's important not just take your eye off the kind of the normal business as best as you can uh, yeah. even even in these circumstances so. yeah that's that's really good advice thank you very much matt um before we wrap up is there anything that you you think we should have covered that we haven't done any particular bit of information or advice that you'd like to get out there to our community I think one thing that I was going to mention from the contract's point of view and going forward was that um, these circumstances are no longer going to be unforeseeable. So um, talking about the force majeure and things we were mentioned earlier, the, if you're entering into new contracts, then ensure that you, you do have protection in there if you can't meet timescales, if the measures that the government's taking continue for longer than we're expecting or they introduce new measures that we don't yet know about um i think overall this is, is unlikely to be unforeseeable in the future can i ask you what you, what you're seeing as from from your sort of unique uh, point of view what are people coming to you with at the moment at this very early stage in all of this um it's for guidance on the the what the government measures are which is similar to the questions you've been asking us um how they can agree variations with their clients and their suppliers um this is from the contract's point of view interpreting their their current contracts um i've had some queries about data protection obligations as well which you you've also mentioned yourselves so it's obviously on people's minds um Catherine and matt i don't know whether you want to say the things that you've been as well. I mean, certainly on the employment side, the most of the work this week has been about furloughing, redundancies, closures. I mean, that sounds like a real harbinger of doom, don't I? Um, but effectively, um, yeah, very much on the staffing side and how can we cut costs and how can we get the money as quickly as possible. So fairly depressing stuff, really. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, I, I'd echo that. I mean, certainly the the absolute focus at the moment for many businesses on the employment side, because that's where, that's where, you know, frankly, you know, businesses have the opportunity for not free money, but it's effectively free money coming in from the government to help support them. So the absolute focus at the moment is people to make best use of the new schemes that are coming in. I think as we see going forward, we'll start to see some, you know, real hard looks at contractual arrangements and, what can be done and what changes need to be made going forward because you know to take into account of the clear delays that are going to be impacting um you know commercial arrangements i think so. and have you seen anything that any particular without naming names or anything like that but anything that you've seen companies doing that you've thought that's a really good idea they are dealing with this situation really well maybe others could do something similar <laughs> Uh -oh. I think they, I mean, if I was being unkind, I think those clients who actually have a decent level of communication and treat their staff like adults and have what I would call adult to adult rather than parent to child type conversation are generally finding their staff are quite responsive and therefore they're able to affect change very um, 
you know, comparatively quickly for the good of mm -hmm. all. For those clients of where I say a slightly more 1970s-esque approach, um, I think for them it is a bit of a struggle, both in terms of how they communicate with their staff and particularly things like the, the sort of trade union involvement as well. So I think it's a bit of a truism, but you can never over communicate. And um, using all the tools that we have now, the virtual tools, things like Zoom, for example, um, you know, I think they're all things that really work for people. I think the other key thing is that some clients who've got a more developed communication strategy are finding it a lot easier to keep in regular contact with their employees who may be home working or may be furloughed because I think that is a serious concern, not just about the mental health issues, which I think are quite significant. But at the end of this, we're all going to have to come back together again. And I think having had sort of three months of no communication, I think that could be quite difficult. I think so having that's a good a... plan, I think, is really important. Okay. Great. Any good news? <laughs> <laughs> it should be over soon. That's the good news. It should be over soon. <laughs> Great. Mel, Chris, have you got anything else that you want to ask? Or uh... no, I was, I was maybe just wondering about, um, you know, where, how you guys see the tech sector versus some of the other um, sectors in the city. Whether, obviously, you know, I'd imagine that the digital technology sector and digital media in general is less badly hit than some of the other economic sectors. Um, do, is that what you're seeing as well? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I think certainly from an employment point of view, sorry, Matt, I, mean, I would say absolutely yes, because you're more geared up to use technology, you're much better at home working. I think it's those trad more traditional heavy duty manufacturing type businesses, which yeah, find I mean, it particularly absolutely, hard. Absolutely true. I mean, obviously, you know, hospitality and retail is just completely disappeared. And that's, uh, that's just on stuff. But to be honest, quite a lot in terms of quite a lot of the manufacturing businesses, they've actually, they've had quite a few of them have actually just taken the decision to close, yeah. you know, literally, literally to fully close for three or four weeks. Mm -hmm. uh, because they just don't see well they've got to look at the cost savings of actually closing the operations down which which you know, i get is a short-term cash benefit so i think you know the, 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 there's clearly going to be an impact on the tech sector i don't think anyone's immune but i think um i think certainly they're probably in a better place than some of the other sectors were you know not having people on the ground in the business working is just massively massively difficult for them so yeah, it's going to change the landscape of the city and the region quite drastically, I think, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, well, thank you. Yeah, on that note. Thanks. Thank you, all three of you, for uh, joining us. That is really, really useful to have you on. Hopefully that's going to help people who have been asking those questions and give people as much clarity as they, as they can get at this point. So thank you, Karis. Thank you, Catherine. And thank you, Matt, uh, for joining us. And uh, good luck. Thank yep. you. Pleasure. Yeah. yeah thanks. thanks for having us. Thank you. Bye -bye. Thank you. Right. Now we are joined by David Robinson, Martin Dean and Tom Whitworth, who are all uh, at Shorts. And uh, they're going to be uh, answering some of our questions for you now, too. But first, if you could just give us like a very brief overview of what you do, that'd be really helpful. Can we start with you, David, if that's all right? Yeah, hi Ian. Um, so yeah, my name's David Robinson. I'm a tax director here at Shorts. Uh, work in the business tax team, um, involved in clients day to day, uh, advising owner managers and also large corporates on uh, all aspects of tax. 
uh, work with my colleague Martin on uh, uh, M&A type transactions as well. Um, in the particular current uh, climate at the moment, I am in the uh, in our COVID-19 response team, along with Martin and, and Tom that are on the call as well. Excellent. And Martin? Yeah, hi. Um, so, so I work in the corporate finance department. Um, part of my day-to-day -day job is helping businesses raise finance. Um, this will include things like creating business plans, investment proposals that, that often contain detailed forecasts. Um, uh, and as David says, I'm part of one of the, um, the members of the COVID team. Great. And Tom? Hi, uh, Tom Whitworth, and I'm director of our Radius team at Shorts, where we specialise in helping businesses with research and development tax reliefs and innovation grants and grants and such like. That's fantastic. Well, thank you so much to all of you for joining us. Really appreciate it. I, I'm very, uh, I, I love the fact that Shorts has a COVID-19 response team. And I wonder if you've <laughs> all got t-shirts or capes or something like that. Um, but it's good to see that the firm very quickly pulled together a bunch of people. And I guess you, you've just come off all your day-to-day -day work and this is entirely what you're concentrating on. Is that true? Yeah, yeah, pretty much, Mel. So, um, you know, we've all got day jobs, but those are uh, taking a back seat at the moment. Our teams are, are delivering the, the client work that we're having to leave. So um, there, are, uh, there are five of us in total, uh, plus one of the partners to lead it all, all up. And I think we just wanted to put a team together to kind of summarise uh, all of the key measures that are coming out of, um, of government at the moment so that they're all in one place. So a couple of the things that we've been doing is um, is updating our website daily for the latest announcements and the latest detail, but also we've been sending out uh, emails to our clients daily as well. Um, I think it's just important at this, at this time to try and uh, be a voice uh, of, of clarity uh, to kind of guide our clients through it, but also, you know, try and give a bit of comfort. Um, that there are reliefs and measures available for businesses to, to carry on as best they can. Obviously, it's very, very strange times. We're all working at home. We're having this call, um, having this podcast via a call rather than in a, in a room. Um, but that's, that's something that we wanted to do to, to try and help our clients through this process, really. Um, yeah. So, so, yeah, that's I mean, what we've done. The um, things are moving so fast, aren't they, and changing on a daily basis um have you what what does it look like generally from from you from within your firm what are you seeing happening with your clients in, in and around the city yeah, yeah so um it's a good question obviously a lot of clients are uh have got, have got questions first and foremost uh, a lot of clients are you know concerned for the short term um, there are some you know some some need some some needs for cash flow uh, injections and and to try and manage cash flow in general. Uh, and there's a load of measures that the government have announced um, to try and to try and help that. And I hope, you know I think throughout some of the questions we'll go through today, hopefully some of those points will be um, explored in a bit more detail. Mm. Yeah, I mean uh, when we were talking to the team from Keebles earlier today, uh, that issue around keeping a very close eye on your cash flow and, and managing your cash flow was flagged up. Do you have any top tips for people on what they should definitely be doing? 
so, so there are a few um, a few tips that we can probably go through today. I think my colleague Martin will have a few ideas as well. But me from a me from a, a tax perspective, uh, there are a few things that um, have been announced to help cash flow. So uh, the Chancellor's announced that any VAT liabilities that are due to be paid between now and the end of June can be deferred without any penalties. So, you know, one of the things that we're suggesting to clients is, um, you know, take advantage of that, don't pay your VAT, keep the cash in your bank to, to use for cash flow. Um, clients that want, businesses that want to uh, take advantage of that should cancel their direct debit. That, that's a key message coming from, from government and HMRC. Uh, if you don't cancel that, they may still try and collect the money, which is obviously not good at the moment. Um, Equally, on the tax side, uh, corporation tax and pay-as-you-earn bills will be coming up for many businesses, uh, particularly pay-as-you-earn. But although there is no automatic deferral of those liabilities, uh, businesses, businesses can arrange with HMRC to have those uh, liabilities deferred as well. Uh, and there's a, there's a helpline that businesses can call uh, to, to try and set that up. So th there's a couple of nice easy measures to help cash flow in businesses uh, at this moment in time yeah just to, sorry if i can just clarify something on that um with the cancelling the direct debit for your vat and and if you do talk to hmrc about your corporation tax and paye it's important for people to understand that at some point they are going to have to pay it it's not being written off it's just being deferred to help cash flow is that correct that, that's correct. Yeah. So the liabilities are, st are still due. They're just not going to be chased by the revenue by HMRC. Yeah. So, so the, the, the VAT deferral that is automatic, um, the latest we know on that is that um, HMRC are going to expect the payments to be made at some point up until the end of next tax year. So around April, uh, April 2021. Um, our experience on the um, corporation tax and pays you earn is that HMRC are, are fairly relaxed in having some of those payments deferred for one, two or three months, um, but, but they are expecting those payments to be made in, in the short term. Whether yeah. anything comes out from government in respect of uh, the automatic deferral of corporation tax and pays you earn, we, 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 we yet to see. Excellent, thank you. Sorry, I cut across Martin, you were gonna add something there. Yeah, so uh, one of the things that the government announced pretty early on, really, before um, the job retention scheme and other schemes that have come out, is the introduction of of, of three hundred thirty billion pound cash injection in by by the way of loans. So I think um, to try and put, put set the scene on these loans to try and give a bit of detail for for listeners to understand. Um, the technical name of the scheme is the Coronavirus Business Interruption Loan Scheme. Um, it's a bit of a mouthful, so I'll just refer to it as, as Coronavirus Loans for now. Mm -hmm. um, now, the scheme has been set up by the British Business Bank, which is a, is a, is a government-owned institute. Um, they've designed the schemes and lenders have been encouraged to adopt the scheme of, as one of their lending packages. Um, in theory, the scheme's attractive to lenders because what the government are saying is, uh, on the face of it, they will guarantee the majority of the loan if things go wrong. Um, so 
from a lender's point of view, uh, there's an incentive to, to set the scheme up and lend businesses money, knowing that the government will, will bail them out if things go wrong. So that's a current scheme that, that's in place. Now, uh, all, and the idea being that it will help to inject some short-term cash in, into businesses. And that's another option. Yeah. So um, earlier on in this podcast, uh, we were talking about the loan scheme and, and uh, had it referred to as a Sybil, which I thought was a very charming name for something that is perhaps not quite so charming. Um, a couple of, of things that I've seen just kicking around on social media and that kind of thing is, is one that the loans are all very well, but you've got to put your house up as security. And another thing is that the loans are all very well, but the rates of interest are very high. Have you got any information or comment on those? Yeah, so I, I, th I think that's from the information that, w that we've got, that, that's wrong. Um, oh. There's a lot of advice on the, like say, the, the British Business uh, Banking, uh, British Business Bank website that you can refer to. Um, and one of, one of the conditions there regarding security is the fact that your your house won't be at risk yeah um, so that that is a misconception under this scheme um there's there's the, the banks won't take your house if it's go if it's if it, if the bank loan goes bad um okay. so that is something that, that that is on there that is out there that's not to say that um the issue that that we have at the minute is that particularly with the security elements is it is at the discretion of the lenders. So what we're seeing is we're seeing different lenders, particularly you know, the, the banks, the main banks are there, uh, the main option for most businesses. There are different criteria, and they are wanting different levels of security. And there's been a bit of backlash for that really, because particularly in this market that, that we're in, um, the lending market overall is going to, minimize and, and the appetite to lend money is going to reduce so what that means is that most businesses you know the only real option is to talk to their incumbent bank the bank that they currently bank with um, there doesn't seem to be an appetite for example if you bank with one one mainstream bank to apply for a loan in another to another bank it's there doesn't seem to be the appetite that you'll get a successful application from that so um so but in terms of answering the question because that's quite key a lot of people will be scared by that that's not under this scheme um the government won't allow that to happen yeah well that that's encouraging and um so i guess the to find out whether you're eligible for one of these loans essentially the thing to do is go and talk to your bank is that what you would say uh, no, there is some. There are some eligible uh, checklists for for businesses. Like I say, the main source to go to and use is obviously come to our website. We've got lots of updates uh, and FAQs that are on there for these sorts of questions. Also, the British Bank website uh, that, that have set this scheme up. You'll see a lot of the eligibility checklists on there. So, for example, the key criteria for most businesses is that the loan the application for the loan must be, must be for business purposes um, one of the conditions is you must be a uk based sme so you've mm -hmm. got to be a uh, a uk based business um, 
um, your turnover must must be um, must turnover from rental income and, and investment income mustn't be more than fifty percent of the overall overall turnover of companies. Now most businesses um, should fall into in, you know should be fine under that category. So there are there is there is checklists there. There are um, you do have to be eligible, but the, the advice is to go to the British Business Bank website. That sets out the principal um, nature of the of, 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 of the scheme that's been set up, and you'll find a lot of information on there as well as our own website. Yeah. Okay. I think if, if I if I could just add to that, Mel, as well, I think so. Yeah, the, the message I think from Martin and his team is that you, you know businesses are better off talking to their own bank first. Um, they're more likely to get something there than than with other banks or or financial institutions. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just wanted to add that on there as well. Yeah. Yeah, that, that that's correct. I'd echo that. Yeah, that that's really good advice. Thank you. Um, we've heard quite a lot about the £10,000 grant for um, small businesses, but it applies only to those that pay business rates and, if I'm correct, currently get some kind of business rate relief. Have I got that right? Hi, Mel. Um, it's, yeah, it's about right. So for the £10,000 grant being made available it is for businesses who currently receive small business rates relief or rural business rates relief and if they receive that generally then they will get a £10,000 grant. There is a couple of other grants available as well, another £10,000 grant or a £25,000 grant but that applies to businesses in the retail, hospitality and leisure business, leisure sectors. And the list is quite extensive from the government about who fits into that, that sort of cafes and theatres, shops and so on. But coming back to your point about business rates, it is those those particular grants are for businesses who already pay business rates as a matter of course. Yeah. And Tom, do we know yet how people get those grants? Do they need to apply or... Will it come automatically because they're already on a list of, you know, businesses that get rates relief? So we've put a blog up today on our website that we can share. But having spoken to a few people and looked into it, it's the, the grants are going to be administered by local government authorities. So, for example, we think Business Sheffield, for Sheffield Council, um, Enterprise in Barnsley for Barnsley and so on. Mm. The, the advice from the government initially was that you don't have to do anything if you're a business, you will be contacted and the money will be sent to you. However, a lot of these um, bodies now have set up online portals where you can go as a business and kind of more proactively register your details uh, to help with that process. What I think that is for is for businesses who... Um, may not have their bank account details with the with the council and so on which kind of makes sense but it's mm. these are portals where you say who you are what your property is uh, what grant you're applying for and you fill in things like bank account details so most of the local authorities have got links up there by by the time this goes out we think so it's a bit of a mixture i would say if it was me and what we're kind of suggesting to businesses is to if you think you're going to be applicable 
then maybe proactively go and register your details so that you are picked up quick. Yeah. Okay. Good. That that's good to know. Um, of course, there's quite a, f a large sort of community of businesses that fall through a gap there, where um, they work. You know, they're a new business or a small business, and they're actually working in a co-working space rather than paying paying rates on their own office. And presumably, they're just out of luck on this one, aren't they? It does seem that way for these particular grants. And I think it's a good point that you make because um, they presumably may have to keep carrying on paying their rent for these spaces where they might, that might not be open anymore. Um, but like you said, don't pay business rates and therefore aren't going to get the business rates holiday, um, but also these particular grants. Mm, yeah. Okay. Um... We've heard a lot since yesterday evening about support for um, the self-employed. Can you very quickly talk us through that just so, so that it's absolutely clear what the self-employed can expect and what they need to do, if anything? Yeah, I'll probably take that one, Mel. So it's David here. Um, so it, it's very early days in terms of any details. So we are still trying to to get our heads around stuff. Um, but I think, you know, the government was under a bit of pressure, quite rightly so, to um, do something for the self-employed, having done something already for those that are employed last week. So the headlines um, for the self-employed uh, guys uh, is that there's a self-employment income support scheme that is being introduced. Um, what that means is that effectively anyone that's self-employed and that gets more than 50% of their income from self-employment may be eligible for um, a, a grant. Um, the grant is up to £2,500 per month based on the profitability of their um, self-employment in previous periods. Now, there's a couple of things in the tail, unfortunately. So people have had... had People have to have been in self-employment um, in the 1819 tax year. So anybody who started self-employment from the 6th of April last year, unfortunately, will get no benefit at all through this scheme, which which will which will come to a, a shock, comes a shock to a lot of people, and will leave a lot of people um, obviously annoyed and um, um, feeling left out. Uh, in addition, anybody who is earning over £50,000 of profit um, in either the 18-19 tax year or the three-year average um, from 16-17 onwards, again, they, they won't uh, qualify either. So just to add a bit to that, so the way that this is going to, we think this is going to work, is that if somebody has got £50,000 uh, or less profit in the 18-19 tax year, uh, they can make a claim if their profits this year are less than they were last year. Likewise, um, if that doesn't uh, throw up a, uh, a grant, those individuals can then compare the current year to the, um, the three years from 16, 17 onwards as an average. And if that gets a more favourable result, they can use that, that period uh, to make a claim. So... Uh, Clearly, a few little nuances and details to, to come out on that in due course. Um, 
we the latest that we know is that it's going to be at least june until any payments are being made to individuals so obviously sat here in in march april time um there is uh, at least two months before any payments are going to be made which will put a lot of pressure on on the self-employed mm -hmm. unfortunately um, in terms of making a claim so uh the moment um the chancellor announced that uh that because because hmrc have got all the information to process these um these these grants um they the, the revenue should be able should be able to do that automatically however our understanding is that there's going to be some kind of portal um application form type type thing for the self-employed to, to to make a claim so our key message at the moment is to to try and be proactive so if you are self-employed i'll be speaking to your accountant trying to understand how much profit you made in the last three years making sure that your tax returns are all up to date trying to understand what kind of grant you would be eligible for um, come, come June um, but also making sure that you've got the relevant support to make the application at the relevant time can't stress that enough um, yeah. you know, get in touch with your accountants really just to get that ball rolling yeah the caveat um, on that, sorry Mel is, is that there's a lot of detail yet to come out yeah. um, and I guess people just have to watch this space yeah and I mean if you're self-employed and you have been for a number of years you quite often have to sort of pay tax it's almost like in advance in installments don't yes. you so um, did I see something about the July payment being deferred as well yes that's right Mel so if you are if you've got a payment on account or income tax due 31st of July this year where the tax arose from self-employment that payment is automatically deferred with no interest no penalties um, you won't have to make that payment until um, next January right um, so, so that's a welcome uh, cash flow advantage for those for those self-employed but of course you know if, if 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 individuals aren't getting any income in um, the grant funding isn't going to be until June um, that there is going to be um, some difficulties there for for people I'm sure yeah yeah okay um well let's let's try and change it up a little bit before we all get very depressed um things like r d tax credits i mean for for technology companies a lot of them are still going to be uh doing what they do creating software products doing research and development will those sorts of businesses still be able to apply for tax credits yeah absolutely the r&d tax credit scheme is uh, continuing through this and as far as we can tell isn't affected by any of the the measures you know surrounding VAT and payments to hmrc and such like um what we're saying is that this is probably now or soon is is a, a decent time to be looking at whether you can claim r&d tax relief because it's it can be reduction or refunds for your corporation tax liability that you've already paid or a tax credit cash back from HMRC um, for businesses developing software so limited businesses developing software uh, spending uh, money on wages etc to make advances in technology 
through software development, they should be applicable to make claims. So what we're saying is that HMRC are meant to be making the payments back to businesses quicker than they have been to help, but also it's as things stand at the moment, businesses that have done development over the past year or two years perhaps, it's work that they've already done and can probably benefit from if they've not already claimed or looked at claiming. So probably quite a, um, a good time to, to be looking at that now or soon. Yeah, so we'd, we'd really encourage businesses to have a look at that. And we've got stuff on our website that uh, you've provided from Radius that talks about what kind of work is eligible. Because I think quite often people assume because it's called research and development, R&D, that perhaps the work they're doing uh, doesn't qualify, but actually there, there are quite a lot of ways to make work qualify, aren't there? Yeah, it's quite um, a, a broad definition. It's not people in lab coats necessarily, as it were. Uh, and, and for software, some software development can be quite straightforward. Uh, not that I know would know how to do that, but, but some when you're looking at some that's really quite advanced and, and some of the products and services that have been developed, and there's there's a lot that would become applicable um that, that as you say Mel, maybe people don't think it applied to them or their business and what they've been doing or maybe had perhaps touched on it a little bit in the past but um running business has got in the way of that so that there's a lot of opportunity and for, you know for businesses to develop um, to benefit from that and and uh, help with their cash flows I think also for businesses that are used to making claims and are used to the process, doing it sooner rather than later might be helpful as well. Yeah, excellent. Thanks for that, Tom. Um, So assuming, you know, some businesses are are still going to be carrying on and while they may see, you know, drop off in customers or, you know, contracts being delayed or stretched out, some of them are still going to need to raise funds. Um, they're still going to be working to a plan. Um, have you got any advice of how to go about fundraising in this current situation? Um, yeah, I'll, I'll step in there, Mel. Um, so as we touched on, David touched on really, the key thing to understand from the banks with these loans is they're going to want to see that you make taking all the necessary steps to try and absorb all the schemes that are currently out there. So if you're looking for to apply for one of these loans under this scheme, they're going to want to see that you're, it makes sense for most businesses, most businesses will be doing it, is trying to get the grant income first. They'll want to see that you're doing that and, and actively, actively seeking out that sort of funding that's available. Then it's a case of, of applying. Now, some practical and essential things that you need to understand really when, when applying for, for one of these loans is that, you need to prepare some sort of forecast. So most businesses will need to forecast the next sort of 12 months. Now, for most businesses in this current situation, don't be scared of putting zero income and, and putting all the costs that are going through. Uh, the bank will want it, you know, they need to be convinced that this, that they need, that the businesses need this loan because of the situation that, that's currently in play. Yeah. Um, so that's really key to understand that, that, that you need to be looking at all of the avenues of income before applying for one of these loans. You're going to have more success of getting one of these loan applications through 
if you are taking up all the options that, that that's really key um so things like all as well as preparing a forecast you need to be looking backwards and, and thinking about presenting and getting gathering the information for for the banks to consider so get on your bank bank's website download the application form for one of these loans um, and look at the criteria that's required and start gathering that information now some of it you may not be able to do and that's where you need to sort of lean on on your advisors your accountants to to help um, because the key is the key thing to understand is a lot of businesses are going to be applying for these loans um, yeah what's really key to understand is from the bank's perspective they're going to be dealing with thousands and thousands of applications for these loans so you need to be prepared and give yourself the best chance of getting the application through quickly and so it gets past the credit process and, and you can get cash in the bank as soon as possible so you know the key message is the banks need to see that you're prepared for this and you're thinking about everything all measures um, which most businesses will be doing but it's it's key that the business owners understand that really and that's going to help raise raise funds for them okay fantastic um thank you so much guys i mean we've covered an awful lot of ground here um and i'm sure that as things continue to develop then there'll be more questions um but if you if if you can you said that you were sending um a daily bulletin which um i actually receive are you happy for me to make that available to the community yeah, yeah that's fine so you know that's going out to our clients but also um contacts we've got on our database so um yeah if you if you want to forward that on that that's fine yeah more than happy that's great thank you very much for that and just before we finish is there anything that you think we should have covered that we haven't in our conversation um so, so the only thing that uh, i had on my list mel was the um this job retention scheme yeah. so for any of your listeners that have got um got employees that they employ uh, obviously they'll have seen um just over a week ago chancellor announced that the government will step in and pay um 80 percent of employees wages up to two and a half thousand pounds per month under this um furloughed workers scheme the kind of principles of that have been have been um, been covered, I think, uh, in the press recently, and hopefully all the listeners are up to date on the general um, the general aspects. However, um, a lot more detail was announced on that um, by the Chancellor last night, so on, on Thursday, the twenty sixth of March. Yeah. Um, we're still working through the detail, um, but the message to, to to businesses is that if you are taking advantage of the furlough scheme. One, it's really important that you get agreement from the employees that they accept to be furloughed. Um, but the other point is that um, it's not just as simple as paying them 80% of whatever they uh, are, are, are on or, or, or £2,500. There are some nuances around how long people have been employed, whether they're on um, sick pay, whether they're on maternity pay. There's loads of stuff that we can't cover now, but yeah. I think if anybody's um, thinking about using that furlough scheme, uh, head over to the government website, uh, or, or obviously we've got a lot of detail on our shorts website, 
um, and the key message is to um, be a bit proactive on that and speak to your speak to your accountant. Okay, that's fantastic. Thank you very much, David. Um, gentlemen, thank you so much. Loads of really valuable information, and we'll keep in touch with you and and share more information as you're able to make that available. Thank you. Yeah, no, th thanks for having us on. It's been great. Um, you know, some of it, some of it's good news. There's obviously a lot of uncertainty at the moment, and people working from home, but. I, th I think you know we're going to get through this, and um, the measures introduced are, are really, really positive. So there's a lot to take from that. I think. Okay, there you have it. That's the two interviews. I hope you found some of that useful. Um, and uh, we all at Sheffield Digital hope that you're okay. And do feel free to get in touch with us and uh, and uh, let us know what you're going through. And uh, however. Uh, we can help or anyone can help really and um, if you want to subscribe to the podcast of course you can we've got uh, interviews with um, other people in the Sheffield uh, sector digital sector lined up and of course we've got an archive of shows and interviews too uh, you can subscribe in um, Apple Podcasts or whichever app that you normally use and you can find out more at sheffield.digital slash podcast and uh, feel free to uh, pass this on to someone else if you think that they'll find it useful too and um, that's it. Until next time.